to share with us through the Gospel of Matthew. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, the, um, the turkeys. Um, yeah, small bridges bring small... Um, 35 pound, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I was just joking around about it, how, um, you know, they were asking, well, like, what size, you know, should we put out there to have people brain? You know, we decided, of course, you know, just whatever it is that uh, the Lord puts on your heart, just go grab a few or a dozen, whatever uh, the Lord puts on your heart. Because sometimes, you know, hey, uh, we go and we're able to, and, and we really feel compelled to, to give, get and give more. And so... Please do that. It can be uh, any poundage whatsoever, um, as far as the turkey is concerned. But yeah, we were looking at um, how is it that we can reach out to the community that uh, that surrounds us um, that's in need. And uh, of course, during these times, um, you know, I know that we love to fellowship. We love to gather together. There's a lot of gatherings. There's a lot of parties that are going on, and all that. But there are also a lot of people, many people who, um, this, is, this is a rough time. And um, many people who, who don't have and would greatly appreciate, uh, appreciate um, a, a little bit of help. And so we're going to go around um, to the surrounding communities, um, but also your community. So um, here's the thing is, with that, um, we'll have some, some uh, invitations available for you to pass out wherever it is that you live. Uh, whether it be in Grand Terrace, whether it be in Canyon Crest, whether it be uh, in Orange Crest, wh- wherever it is that you are, um, you will be given um, some flyers, or you can take some flyers, and you can pass them out in your community. Also, uh, we will be gathering formally um, as a church, um, going out on specific days, and we'll, I think it's November 10th and the 17th that we were looking at. Those are Saturdays to go out um, to specific areas and just canvas um, the riverside as much as we can. So that's what we have going on. All right, so this morning we're in Matthew chapter 26. Um, This is um, the fourth and final portion of this chapter uh, that we're going to be covering. And the title of this morning's message is Complete Control. Complete Control. Have you, or perhaps now, have you ever felt like your life is just absolutely falling apart? Yes. Maybe you feel like too much has happened, too much is happening at one time or over the course of of time. You know, sometimes, you know, we can deal with the moments, but sometimes over the course, I mean, if it's just long uh, that we're dealing with certain things that are just heavy, um, sometimes they weigh on you. And it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Nothing's interesting to you anymore. For you or toward anyone else, you just hate everything and everyone. You don't communicate. Everyone angers or annoys you or frustrates you. You know, those, those are some of the things that we experience when, when life just tends to overwhelm us. When we get to that point to where it's like, ah, you know, it's just I've had enough. That's, it's been a bit much. You pull back, you draw back at times, and those are all, by the way, things that we ought to recognize and not give in to, to be jaded, critical, feeling confused. That's all, none, none of those things are of the Lord. If anyone would be justified in saying that they had a reason to fall into this state of being, it would have been the Apostle Paul and others in the Bible. I like to refer to him because we have so many details about him. He was falsely accused, beaten with rods three times, received 40 lashes minus one, five times. Can you imagine being beaten? Your, your hands are tied up, your back exposed, and you're, and you're whipped 39 times. And he had this done to him five times. But not once. Once would have been enough, Right? Five times. And they all roared. (laughs) He was imprisoned, shipwrecked, adrift at sea, exposed to extreme elements, 
knew what it was to hunger, knew all of those things. If anyone would be justified in feeling like what I had just described, overwhelmed, it would be the Apostle Paul. But he was an example of a man who kept his eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of his faith. Jesus was his perfect example of a man who was always in complete control. Always. And of course, we can look to Jesus, and he is the perfect example, model of what we should reflect in our own lives, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Paul's hope and strength was uh, then was the same as ours should be and is today, Jesus Christ. And we have the same indwelling Holy Spirit today as Paul did at that time to help direct him, give him wisdom, remind him of things, teach him all things concerning Jesus Christ. We have the same Holy Spirit that helps us to draw closer to the Lord. Jesus had told the disciples that one of them would betray Him. And He did. And yet Jesus still treated Judas Iscariot with love, washing His feet as we were reminded of yesterday. Can you imagine being in the upper room and having Jesus... Come and wash the feet of all 12 disciples, including the one that he knew would betray him. Jesus did that. Jesus had told Peter that he would deny Jesus three times. You will deny me three times. And then Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane with much sorrow and a troubled heart because his time was quickly approaching in which he would go to the cross and have the sin of the world poured out on him. He knew all of this. And yet, in spite of all of this, he was in complete control and responded to the events around him according to... This is really important for us to understand. This is why we need to know this well. He responded according to the will of the Father. That's how he responded. You want to know how to respond in your time of trouble? Respond according to the will of the Father. What is that? You learn it. You know it. You apply it. It's called the Word of God. You apply it. You walk in it. No matter what, by faith. Believing, trusting, clinging to, fixing your eyes upon Even after having been let down by Peter, James, and John, remember in the garden, he told them, hey, keep watch and pray. He was let down three times. Each each time he fell asleep. When they were asked to pray with Jesus, Jesus advances to face those who were there to arrest him and begin the march to Calvary. Verse 45 says, then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. He wasn't running away, he was running too. If Jesus is the one that we ought to be emulating and reflecting his glory, then why would we do different in our lives when faced with difficult circumstances, especially when they don't compare to his circumstances? I hope that what you draw from the passage of Scripture that we're going to study this morning, a greater understanding of how amazing Jesus' love is toward you, His perfect faithfulness in fulfilling the will of the Father and the amazing and perfect control He had in all circumstances, all situations, which I pray we consider and desire to exercise in our lives as He has given us the Holy Spirit and His Word to do so in a way that glorifies the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that many people are dealing with difficult circumstances in their lives right now in this room. You know that even better than I do. Perfectly. You see all things. You know all things. 
I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people. Remind them of how much you love them and how it is that you will never leave them, never forsake them. You've given us your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to do just a special work, a detailed work in each and every one of our lives. In each one, Father, there are things that we are in desperate need for you to speak into, to help us through to your glory. Lord, one day, as we were reminded today, Lord, we will, Lord, be in your presence for all eternity. You will make all things new. Lord, we look forward to that day. Until then, Father, I pray that the time that you give us now, Lord, that we would redeem, that we would make the best use of and bring you glory. Help us today, we ask. Father, stir us up, strengthen us, build us up, Father, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Betrayed and treated like a criminal. That's what Jesus was exposed to here. Beginning in verse 47, we read, While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Um, The wonderful, beloved John is the one who gives us the understanding of who it was that that one disciple was. John, um, who was it that, um, that cut the ear of Malchus? It was Peter. So John told on Peter. As Jesus was telling Peter, James and John, remember they were in the garden, that, that this mob that was coming toward them, that in it there was one that was his betrayer. And then as they stood up and advanced, they moved forward, they rose and began to walk toward the mob. Here comes Judas. Greetings, Rabbi. And he welcomed him with a, with a kiss. Jesus knew that even though Judas greeted him warmly on the outside, inside Judas's heart was as cold as cold can be, as hard, as hard as a heart could ever be, as dark as it ever could be. Having betrayed him with 30 pieces of silver. This is actually not the first time that Jesus had been greeted with a kiss. If you remember the time in Simon's home, the home of a Pharisee, how it was that as Jesus was sitting there with them, that a woman that had been deeply forgiven came in with an alabaster full of oil for anointing. And she came and fell at Jesus' feet, weeping. And as she wept, she wept so much that she, she wet the feet of Jesus and she wiped the feet of Jesus and anointed Him with this oil, this fragrant oil. 
She was broken before the Lord and she couldn't stop kissing him. She knew forgiveness. She had this deep love for the Lord, passionate toward him, had a zeal toward him like no other. And the Lord said, your faith, your faith has brought you to a place of knowing forgiveness. This woman would have died for Jesus, but Judas betrayed Jesus to death. Jesus would indeed die, but he was going to the cross willingly. And let me tell you this, that he went to the cross willingly for both. Only one believed, and the other did not. Within this one event in the garden, Jesus demonstrates demonstrates a focus and control in fulfilling the whole will of the Father. He was betrayed, verses 47 through 49. Again, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss, uh, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, identifying Jesus as the one that the chief priests and the elders were desiring to draw in and bring to trial and ultimately put to death. And Jesus simply looked at Judas and he said, Friend, Do what you came to do. Hmm. Just, I, I can't, I guess I can't understand because hopefully, you know, I'm, I'm more in line with my, I have a a deep love for the Lord and and I, I can't picture anyone, you know, coming and having those words spoken to him and not feeling some kind of conviction. And the Lord telling Judas this, friend, do what you came here to do. Judas had to have been shocked, but that really didn't matter at this point. I don't want to focus on anyone but the Lord and how he handled the situation. As much as we would hate to be betrayed, sometimes we may experience it. You can't control someone else's behavior, but you can and must control yours. That's what the Lord calls us to do, to control our behavior. And that's what we see the Lord doing. Can you imagine? I mean, if you were the Lord, what would you you have said to Judas if you knew that he was the one that was coming to betray you? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. Right? I mean, what would you do? There's no way, dude. You're not doing what you came here to do. When you knew the mob was coming, which way would you go? Toward the mob or away from the mob? You know what, guys? Fellas, Peter, James, John, we still have time to go the other way. Let's go. But when the Lord prayed in the garden, He was asking if there was any other way that this could be accomplished. Oh, may it be done. Nevertheless, may your will be done, not mine. And that's why having victory in prayer, Jesus at that moment, and he knew the whole time as he went through, this is the Father's will. That's why he stood up and went straight towards that mob. That's why when Judas came to him and betrayed him with a kiss, he could tell him, friend, do what you came here to do. Why? Because he was in complete control. He was in complete control. And then he was arrested. How did he respond to that? Verse 50 says, Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. So basically that means he was arrested. He was placed into custody. When Philip met up with the Ethiopian eunuch, 
The eunuch was reading in Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8, where it says, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth, and his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation where his life is taken away from the earth? This was all prophesied about. This is all looking forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In this moment, he willingly allowed himself to be placed into custody. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. He's sovereign, though. No matter what happens. Sometimes we look at our circumstances and we think, well, where's God? Where, where are you, God? Where are you? I, you don't know how I, what I'm going through. I am so broken. I am so overwhelmed. It's too much. Where are you? And we cry out to Him. In desperation. He is still on the throne and He is our sovereign God. And no one can pluck us out of His hand. Our hope is not in this world. It is of another world. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Don't cling to this life so much so that you grow desperate and despondent to the point to where you have absolutely no hope. He's sovereign. It was interesting that Peter was willing to whip out his sword to defend Jesus without being asked to, but unwilling to drop to his knees to intercede when he was asked to by Jesus. Sometimes we're so willing to do, uh, you know, the outward and the obvious. But, man, the best thing that we can do is to pray without ceasing. Drop to your knees. Intercede on behalf of someone else. Drop to your knees and cry out to the Lord to meet you in that place where you are. Drop to your knees. That's what we are called to do. Why? Because that's a place of humble submission to the Lord. Looking to Him. Looking up in that place of humility before the Lord. Jesus at this time addressed Peter and those that came for Him. Look at verse 50. Or 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus rebukes Peter. Um, Listen, Uh, the Lord Jesus said in verse 53, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Uh, What's a legion? Well, um, it could be anywhere from 1,500 per legion, um, or some say that it's 6,000 foot soldiers and about 600 chariots or so. Either way, it's a lot, right? And remember that one angel, I believe it was in 2 Kings, took out 185,000 people. (laughs) Just one. Just one. Why do you need 12 legions? You know, you have a mob of maybe a hundred. One angel would be fine, but, but he's making a point to Peter. Jesus rebukes Peter. In other words, hey, listen, that's not the plan. That's not part of the plan of salvation. I'm going willingly to the cross. I didn't ask you to pull out your sword and plus you missed. You hit his ear. I had to put it back on. You're no good with that sword. (laughs) Be better with this sword. Jesus rebukes the people who came for him. They came for one man as if he was a robber. They came for Jesus as if I was among you. I I taught and I preached. And you didn't do anything. You couldn't do anything. Because it was not my time. Remember, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He's wonderful. 
Jesus did not come to rob man, but to give his life for man. Twice Jesus referred to this having to happen in order that prophetic scripture would be fulfilled. Twice he he said this in, in his response. This must come to pass in order to fulfill the scriptures as they have been laid out by the prophets. It has to happen. Two times he said that. And then as the disciples saw that there was no question that Jesus was willingly going with them, and he did not call on them to come on his behalf and defend him, they did what any good friend would do. They were gone. Hey, we're out of here. <laughs> um, hey, you're arrested and uh, you're going with them and we're, we're, we're going that way. They left. Just as Jesus told them it would happen. Back in verse 31, then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. He even told them, it's going to happen. Like this, this night, it, it's going to happen. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And then a few verses later in verse 35, Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples agreed. They said the same. They all said the same thing. So they agreed with Peter. Even if I must die, I, we will not deny you. <laughs> and here we have, in verse 56, they're gone. They cannot be found. And yet, Jesus did not lose control, but simply the acts themselves his actions proved what he had said, and the things that happened proved what he had said. This is what was going to happen. That's why it's important for us as we look at the world that we live in today. We see the things happening all around us. Hey, listen, do not lose heart. In this world, you will experience, you will know, tribulation, right? That's why the Lord tells us these things beforehand. So when you go through them, you too can be in control and know God is in control. We knew that all this was going to happen. How then shall I respond to the things that are happening to me? How then shall I respond? So Jesus, our example, did not lose control, but simply acted in, the way, in a way that aligned with the Father's will. And then he was falsely accused and beaten. Let's continue on, verse uh, 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where, uh, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, the Sanhedrin, in other words. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. But they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last, two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. By the way, the whole, the whole, situ- the whole event, the whole trial right here, it was all by night. At this point, it was all illegal. And these were the religious leaders. It was all illegal. It was all they, this was against their Jewish law to do this. It, sh- it should have been done according to their law in the daytime. This was all at night in the cover of dark. Never expect the enemy to play by the rules. Sometimes we think, well, that's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. Where, where does unfairness come from? Where, you know, just know that the enemy will not play by the rules. The Lord said to his disciples, you know, I send you out, send you out into the world as sheep among wolves. Be as cunning as a serpent, 
but be as harmless as, as a dove. And so we need to be, cunning means, yeah, listen, you need to outsmart the schemes of the enemy, the enemy himself, by knowing the word of God, just as the enemy tried to deceive Jesus when he fasted and he was met by the enemy and he was trying to deceive him with, a very, with God's word. But Jesus knows the word, is the word, and applied it in context. The enemy will not play by the rules. He'll try and manipulate, deceive, distract, and just straight out destroy you. Jesus was tried before Caiaphas, the high priest, and the council, and they were making every attempt at just getting rid of Jesus, even looking for someone to bring false accusations uh, toward him. I mean, they were soliciting. Hey, anyone out there? You have anything, uh, anything that you can say against Jesus? You know, maybe you heard something. Let me hear how you say it. Okay, go accuse him. Well, they couldn't find anyone. They wanted to just have something that would put him, send him to die. And they, fa- they were failing in their attempts. But finally, there were a couple guys that came up and said Jesus spoke against the holy temple of God. Oh, he said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Um, for just a man to be able to do that would be a miracle in and of itself. But this was the accusation. Meanwhile, Peter was trailing Jesus, but at a distance, and he was allowed to enter into the courtyard where the guards were to see how everything worked out. Up to this point, Peter, although following at a distance, had not denied Jesus. He was still... With him, just not with him, with him. But then we have Jesus' testimony, verse 62, as we continue. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is this? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. So even in that, the high priest knew he had absolutely nothing. There's nothing there. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Oh. <laughs> After all that Jesus had said, all that he had done, there was not one thing that they could find against him that he would be guilty of any wrongdoing, especially not death. Oh, but the great threat of destroying the temple, oh, that, that was something that was worthy of bringing up. It would be like a modern-day bomb threat, uh, an act of terrorism. That, that's what we could... Equate it to in today's terms. But here's the thing. Is, here's the thing is that this was very clear. So turn with me. Hold your place there. Turn with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. In verse John 2.18 says, So the Jews said to him, "Uh, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So were those two that were testifying correct and saying what he had said? Yes. Right? But there's more. Verse 20, The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, 
his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. You know, there are a lot of things that we listen to, we hear, and just like the disciples, we just don't get it. You know? But God is patient with us. I'm so thankful for that. Because then we do come to a place at times to where it's like, ah, that's what he meant. Right? And we get it and it ministers to us. But he was perfectly clear, right? We know from John that he explained, hey, listen, he wasn't talking about the physical temple. He was talking about his body. Jesus remained silent, not because he feared, but because of his patience and his courage and his love. That's what was, by the way, drawing him to the cross. He wasn't going begrudgingly. He wasn't going, oh, I have to go. The Father sent me and therefore I go. Might as well not do it at all. You know, you know for, for those that sometimes we, we hear the Word of God, we know the Word of God, we know it's speaking to our specific situation, and we go, oh, we got to do it. It's like, might as well not do it. You're doing it with the wrong heart, right? Just be willing to and know that it, it's good for us to simply follow through with joy. The Lord is our example. He's the perfect example. So we look to him. He remained silent and he was going. He was advancing to the cross. The crescendo of the trial was when the high priest adjured Jesus or put him under oath to tell the truth, compelling him to give a true answer. I find that interesting because Jesus is truth. He only speaks the truth. But with this, Jesus does speak. Not to defend himself, but to confirm what the high priest had asked Jesus about. Now now you're asking the right question. When the high priest said, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. Amen. You are correct. It is as you have spoken. Jesus Confirmed it. After failing at finding some accusation against Jesus that was worthy of death, the priest was frustrated and directly confronted and asked if Jesus is the Christ. Are you the Son of God? And Jesus confirmed it. No doubt about it. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, equal with the Father. He could not deny truth. And why do we know that this is very clear? We can't interpret it any other way. Jesus claimed to be God because of the way that they responded. Look with me at verse 65. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. He made himself out to be God. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? Even the accusation of blasphemy was wrong. Jesus was making himself equal with God, but he was and is. There is no crime. Immediately they committed Jesus to a death sentence, of which was exactly why the Father sent the Son. The Sanhedrin heard Jesus' testimony and they declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy and deserving of death. And they beat Jesus, spit in His face, slapped Him, mocked Him. All of this was done to Jesus. Many today are still doing the very same thing. In a way, spitting in His face rejecting his claim to be the Messiah, the Son of God, dismissing his righteousness, and mocking him. People are still doing that today. And like I said before, he went to the cross for them too. Just as he went to the cross for the woman in Simon's home that was kissing him, 
anointing him, weeping. So he did for Judas. Even though Jesus had been betrayed and treated like a criminal, falsely accused and beaten, Jesus remained in perfect and complete control, the cross before him. That was, that was his goal. That's where he was going. Nothing and no one was going to stop him. His words were still ringing in the ears of Peter, who was close by. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. Just moments prior to this, he was telling Peter, James, and John these very words. And with that said, he was denied by his closest friend, at least one of them. Verse 69, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath this time. I do not know the man. In verse 73, After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter was, I believe, struck with a personal fear. Paralyzed. We have the contrast. He was out of control. He was not in control. He was out of control. Peter was not cross-examined by the Sanhedrin. He was not cross-examined by anyone of any real power or authority. He was, you know who, who he was? It wasn't even a cross-examination. A servant girl came up to him. Oh, and then another servant girl came up to him. Oh, Peter must have had it, must have had it hard, right? I mean, certainly he, he was like really being grilled. And then lastly, by a bystander? Just some dude that had been around perhaps hearing the second servant girl and what she had said and listening to Peter speak, he noticed... Kind of like Troy up here. You know, his accent betrays him. <laughs> He's obviously from Australia. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? He's obviously... Where are you from? <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> I, I know that, brother. But <laughs> you know, it, it was... Uh, it's, it was um, well known that the Galilean accent was so bad that they, they could not recite certain prayers. They, they were like, you know what, just forget it. <laughs> it, it you know, reciting the prayers, you know, let, let's ask someone else to go ahead and recite that prayer because your Galilean accent is so horrible. You know? So it's very distinct. Yeah, it's true. In that culture, in that time. You know, and so it was distinct. And this bystander's like, man, I'm hearing Peter talk, and it's like, no doubt you're a Galilean. There's no doubt. Peter was not on guard. He was not watchful. He was careless in his thoughts, not considering the words that were coming out of his mouth. His first denial, I do not know what you mean. Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. That was it from the first servant girl that came up to him. The second time, I do not know this man. Denying it with an oath, I swear, I do not know this man. Third denial. I bleep, 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 bleep. You know, you could equate it to something like that. Like emphasizing, in other words. 
emphasizing, I do not know this man, but this time invoking a curse on himself. Like saying, you know, God, curse me if I'm lying. It's like, what? I mean, attempting to speak a lie and even invoking a curse upon him in order to to, uh, convince someone else that he truly didn't know Jesus? Who was Peter trying to convince? What was he fearing? Who was he fearing? But as soon as Peter denied Jesus for the third time, the rooster crowed, and he remembered what Jesus said, ran out, ran out and wept bitterly. Deep remorse overwhelmed him. Judas had betrayed Jesus, but demonstrated a worldly sorrow that led to death. But when Peter had denied Jesus, he demonstrated a repentant heart by beginning to weep bitterly. Immediately, he ran out. He was overcome with sorrow. Luke twenty two sixty one 61 says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? At that very moment, he had told him, You're going to deny me. Three times. And then the rooster is going to crow. He denied him that third time. And immediately, in fact, it says, as his words were still coming out of his mouth, he heard the rooster crow. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. At that very moment, the rooster is crowing. And Jesus turns and looks at him. And yet through it all, Jesus, even then, was in complete control. He's sovereign. See, we can, we can look at this story here, here and, and it breaks our heart because we think, how could Peter do that, right? How can we do that? How is it that we deny the Lord? There is a contrast here. Jesus was in full control while everyone else was not. Peter should have known, and he did remember, but he failed, right? He did fail. Seek to know God's word and apply it to your situations. When you fail, know that remembering God's word is actually a gift. It's actually a gift for you and I. It's, it's, that, it's the spirit that brings us to that place of remembering so that we will be convicted in turn, confessing our sins to the Lord. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's when we remain in our pride and refuse to confess. I am not going to repent. I know that I am in the right, and that is it, period. Like, Okay, then remain in it. You will deal with that. It's up to you. But the moment... Oh, the moment we get come to that place of being broken and contrite before the Lord, the word tells us, oh God, these you will not despise. You will not turn your back on. It's those hearts that he brings it even closer. He did that with Peter. He restored him on that one day on the beach. Do you love me? He said that three times. He restored him. Just know that. If you have fallen just as Peter has, God desires to restore you, to bring you to that place to where it's like, come on and come in close. Confess, repent, come before me. I desire to to set you right with me. In fact, it's the same Peter that in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5 writes this. Same Peter. First Peter chapter five, verse six. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Who would know this better than Peter? Casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Who else would know it better than Peter? Be sober-minded. Who would know this better than Peter? 
Be watchful. Same thing. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, don't think yourself as unique. You're not. The same things are being experienced by others throughout the world. Your brothers, your sisters. And the Lord is faithful in their situations, just as he will be with you. And then verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's the God we serve. That's the God who saves. How then shall we respond? Can we look to the will of the Lord according to the word of God? Walk by faith in it. Bless him and allow him to speak into our situations. And bless him by being obedient and submissive to his word. Just as the example of Jesus Christ perfectly is before us, so we should walk in that same way. The Apostle Paul was encouraged and he walked in the same manner. Not perfectly, but he did. Peter, as we just read, oh, he learned, he applied. And now he was writing to the church as he still is and saying, oh, I learned all these things. I, I know God is amazing. Do this. Do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are in complete control. Lord, help us, Lord, to control ourselves in the situations that we find ourselves in. Lord, please don't allow us to react in a way that is not fitting for us to react to certain situations, but help us to respond with a clear understanding and being conscientious of your word that you may be glorified and honored until the day that we go home to be with you or you come and rapture us to be with you. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging your church. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen.